So we're in this series called uh, Bring Your Own God, Small G. And really what it means, if you're visiting with us, is different people have perceptions of God. And sometimes there's a, a word picture that might describe how people feel about God. And so this is the word picture today. It's helicopter God, which is a reference to helicopter parents. How many of you know what a helicopter parent is? Raise your hand if you're a helicopter parent. Okay, good. Good. We have so I asked this first service, so what is a helicopter parent? Just rapidly throw it out. What is a helicopter parent? Anyone? They hover. Wow, that was, uh, I sense some anger. Okay, so uh, yeah, so it's somebody that hovers over. Uh, and so I was trying to think of a funny, <laughs> a funny picture to describe what this looks like. And uh, I remembered this picture from <laughs> a few years ago, Jeff George playing at uh, Purdue. Anyway, uh, got dinged up and mom decided to go on a ride with him. And for some reason, it just didn't land well with the boys. Okay, so the media got a hold of it. That is an example of a helicopter parent. But the sad truth is some people feel that way about God. Matter of fact, here's the official definition of a helicopter parent. It's a, a helicopter parent is a parent who takes over protective and excessive interest in the life of a child or children. Now, people who have this view of God, this perspective, uh, they view God in this way. There's this huge, what we would call our world, and it is a huge chess game. And God is just taking us, and we're the pawns, and he's just kind of moving the pieces around for his purpose. And uh, you know what's really sad about that perspective is if you boil it down, you know what you've taken away is one of God's greatest gifts for everybody that's sitting here today. You know what that is? The freedom to choose. You have the freedom of choice. We see that time and time again throughout Scripture. Matter of fact, as we talk a little bit about helicopter parents, there's a, an author by the name of Julie uh, Lithcote Haynes, and uh, she was, for years, the dean of students at Stanford University for freshmen that were coming in. So she saw firsthand not only the effects of helicopter parents as students came into Stanford, but as they left Stanford and then went on into their careers and uh, listened to her words. Kids feel that they cannot be successful unless a parent is protecting and preventing at every turn and hovering over every happening. Now, this is where it really gets interesting. What helicopter parents, in essence, are saying is, I don't think you can accomplish anything important in life without me. You see the danger of that kind of perspective? Especially when we try to apply that to God, because we see from the very beginning, if you look in Genesis chapter 2, the the power and the significance of choice. I love the fact that right out of the gate with Adam, he says, uh, you can eat. I love this. Uh, verse uh, 16, 17, you can eat from anything. Here's the free. You can eat from anything you want. There's one tree you don't mess with, the tree of good and evil, but you have the freedom to do it all. And then when Eve enters the picture, God says to both of them, you're free to name all of the living creatures. Now, God could have easily said, that's a tiger, that's a bear, no arguments. But no, he said, hey, I want to give you the freedom to do that. And I think it's amazing that God gives us all that freedom. Now, here's what we all know. 
we also have the freedom with the choices that we make to bless God or honestly to curse God. Galatians 6, 7 says, we reap what we sow. Now, what does that mean? You have a choice, and every day, choices that we make have consequences. And sometimes the choices that we make that are solid and are godly choices, down the road, there's, there's fruit from that. But if we make choices opposed from God and his word, what happens? There's consequences for that. We know that that's true, but sometimes in life we forget that, that our freedom of choice will, will either bless God or it can potentially break God's heart. So I didn't want this to be Debbie Downer. I didn't want this message to be like, oh, here we go. Um, what I want to do is I, I, I was praying through the scripture and I thought, is there a character in the Bible who gives us some great examples of making really strong choices and we get to see the results? And I landed on one of my favorite Old Testament characters and his name is Joshua. And I want us to see this morning that the choices that he made are the same choices we can make, okay? So here we go. First of all, Joshua chose to stand on God's promises. If you've got your scriptures this morning or your iPads or your phone, um, you, you can follow along. In Numbers chapter 14, I'm going to pick up the story uh, starting here at uh, verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So let me give you a little background if you don't know the story. Is the Israelites have been wandering at this time, about two, between two and three years. But they are right now on the threshold of the promised land. And so Moses, wanting to, to buy in, he wants ownership. He thinks, I'm going to delegate this. I'm going to pull 12 uh, spies together. And they're going to come back with this great report. And uh, that'll just get people excited, and we're going to be ready to roll. So on paper, that looks like a good plan. Except, really, what he's got is a committee, and we all know committees just always make great decisions. So anyway, he's got this committee, and they get into the land, and uh, uh, right away, they're like, this is the most amazing place we've ever seen. I mean, it flows with milk and honey. It's everything God said. Problem is, look at us, look at them. They're giants. I mean, they are so physically imposing. And let's be honest, we've been wandering around. We're skinny. We're weak. We're going to take the report back. This isn't going to work. So here's the problem. God already promised them the land. That, that was not the decision. God didn't need them to give him permission. He already promised. And so this is an agonizing section of Scripture because in front of the entire assembly, Moses is brokenhearted. And now Joshua and Caleb stand up, and they're just pleading, do not, do not listen to these 12 other spies. You can't back down now. I mean, this is an amazing land. We can take it. Don't be intimidated by the giants. Why? God promised us this. And you know what they did? They listened to the 10 spies. Now, 
those of you that grew up in church, you may remember this. Uh, Marie and I did children's church for years, and there's these annoying children's church songs I can't get out of my mind. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Like Father Abraham. Gosh, I get nauseous thinking about turning, you know. Uh, but how many remember the 12 men went to spy on 10? And 10 were bad, and 2 were good. Anyone? Good, five of you. Well, the rest of you really, you missed out on. So anyway, that song, I remember, and then we would always follow up with the story. Kids, you don't want to be one of those 10 spies. You want to be like Joshua and Caleb because they stood on God's promise. That's a lesson we still need to learn today. William Carey, who is considered the father of modern missions, said this, the future is as bright as the promises of God. I love that. Billy Graham said, from one end of the Bible to the other, God assures us that he will never go back on his promises. There's over 3,500 promises in the Bible, but let me share one with you that we can cling to this morning. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Here's the promise. Some of you right now, you're battling some giants in your life. Uh, you've got some struggles, some insurmountable odds that you feel are against you, whether it's at work, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's at school. But right now, it feels like there are giants, and you have no idea how you're going to get through it. Well, here's the first step. God is with you, and he'll never leave you. I mean, that's an amazing thought, that his presence, his love, his compassion, his grace, always with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And that's what Joshua clung to. He chose to stand up for God's promises. But you know what else he did? If you turn over to Joshua 1, verses 7 through 9, he chose to stand up and lead when needed. If you haven't highlighted this in your scriptures, please highlight this. There's some verses that will give you encouragement, I guarantee you, over the years. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all that the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful in whatever you do. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Did you get a repeating theme there? Like, man, Joshua, why, why so bold right out of the gate? Well, he knows. Once again, they're at the threshold of the promised land. Now they've been wandering for nearly 40 years, and he's like, we aren't sending in spies. There are no committees. Here's the deal. Be strong and courageous. Let's go get it. And then they might have been like raising their hand like, oh, I don't know. What do you want us to do? No, no. Be strong. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. God's with us. We're going for it. Now, what really makes this so impressive is when you put a frame of what's going on. Uh, he mentioned this guy named Moses. Can you imagine being the leader that follows Moses. Now, some of you, if you're younger uh, in your family, you had older brothers and sisters, and perhaps you had an older brother or sister that excelled at school, and then when you got there, the teacher goes, oh, you're so-and-so's blah, 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 and you're like, I can't even stand this teacher. You know, you just, you know, you can't live in that shadow. 
We've all been there, whether it's at school, sometimes it's at work. There's situations where you're following a leader, and then you start thinking, what do I need to do to be just like that leader? Well, here's the bottom line. You can't be like that person. You have to be who you are and let God lead through you. Now, let me tell you, it takes courage to lead when you see a need. See, Joshua saw a huge need. And he wants to do the same thing for everyone here today. That's what I want to ask you this morning. Are you willing to lead when you see a need? I read, I love American history, and back in 1945, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president. Uh, we were at the very end of World War II, and uh, actually for our nation, things were starting to really look up. People loved the president. They loved where the country was going. And then Roosevelt was extremely ill. They tried to cover it up. And he died. Well, the vice president, his name was Harry S. Truman, and I'm telling you, nobody knew this guy, and that's the way Roosevelt wanted it. He didn't want somebody that people knew. He just needed a simple kind of a yes man so that uh, he'd have no conflict. And all of a sudden, he passes away, and right away, they, swore, they swear him in as president of the United States, the 33rd president of the United States. Now, over the years, Harry S. Truman, what he was always known for is he always spoke plain and he spoke truth. He'd tell you exactly what he was thinking, when he was thinking it. So the day after he was sworn in, uh, he met with a group of journalists, and they asked him how he was feeling. And I want you to listen to what he replied. Boys, if you're ever going to pray, pray for me now. I don't know if you fellas had ever had a hay bale fall on you, a hay wagon, and I'm sure they're like, what's he talking about, Okay. But then when they told me yesterday what happened, now listen to this, I felt like the moon, the stars, and all of the planets had fallen on me. You ever felt like that? Like your whole world is coming down on you. Like there's this amazing, like you can't even describe the weight that is on you. And you know when it's hardest to lead? It's when you feel that weight. Leadership can actually make you feel that way. And yet you know deep in your heart that when you see a need, you have to have the courage to lead. I want to encourage all of you to do that. I look here on the west side, we have 16 teams right now. And one of the things that is a common denominator, we don't believe in solo leadership. You need to be part of a team. Uh, it's dangerous if you have solo leadership. You have to work together. And I love to see what God's doing through our teams. We actually have added and we're going to continue to add new teams. We have a, a new marriage team. We have the Sisterhood of Singles team. We have the Community Impact. I mean, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep raising teams because we want people to buy into serving with one another. Why come to church and just sit there? How boring is that? Now, we don't serve a God that wants us to sit around. We serve a God who says, hey, roll up your sleeves and get it going. Now, here's, here's the deal. Sometimes that means he's calling you to lead. So let me give you a couple of what I call misconceptions about leadership. Misconception number one um, is that you have to be an upfront person. You know, I'd love to lead, but I don't like being upfront. Well, you know, the best leaders are the leaders that aren't upfront. They do the work behind the scenes. We don't need a lot of upfront people. We need people behind the scenes saying, I'll do whatever it takes. And if you think about in your life, Leaders who've had a tremendous impact on your life, I guarantee there were people who didn't want to be up front. There were people who just did amazing things behind the scenes. 
Here's the other one. I have to be an extrovert to be an effective leader. Well, that's crazy. You know why? 60% of the world are introverts. We don't need any more extroverts, do we? Do we? Can I have an amen? No. You need introvert. You need folks that say, you know what? It's, it's hard for me sometimes to lead, but I think I can do this. Guess what? You can. Absolutely you can. Don't allow some of those fears to get to you. A couple weeks ago, I just uh, I got word that uh, one of my Sunday school teachers, she was in her 80s, passed away, and her name was Loretta Wirtz. Isn't that a great name? And there was actually back in the 70s a song by Paul McCartney, uh, Get Back, and there was a part in there that says, go home, Loretta. And I remember we used to harass her like, Loretta? And she used to love that, you know. But in our church of like, say 120, we had this freakishly large group coming through the math. You know how in schools they had, there was this group coming through the pre, and they, nobody was leaving. They prayed that we would, but we just kept growing, growing. And then eventually they knew it was coming. You know, they're going to hit junior high. You know, funny thing, they couldn't get anybody to teach the junior high class. <laughs> and out of the blue, Loretta Wirtz stepped up and said, I've never taught a day in my life, but I love junior high kids. Who says that? And I'd like, to, I'd like to teach them. Now, it wasn't like the church was like, no, Loretta, no. We've got so many volunteers. They're like, here's a, here's a teacher's book. Here's a standard. <laughs> we'll see when Jesus comes back. You know how that is? With, so we go in there, and I, rem, I, I still remember the first day that she taught. I had this huge wad of bubble gum. And I, had, uh, I only had one trick, and it was I could do a double bubble where you blow up through. So I was tuning, and I was doing my double bubble, and, and Loretta's, uh, Mrs. Words, she was watching me, and I just got ready to throw it away. She goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing what I've done the rest of my life. You know, I'm throwing the gum away. Or, you're not supposed to chew gum. She goes, isn't gum awesome? Isn't it great? I'm like, it is awesome. You know, I couldn't believe And she said, Go ahead and keep chewing. As a matter of fact, can you blow another bubble? I'm like, okay. So I threw down another bubble, and when I left that class, I couldn't wait to come back next week. You know what? I don't remember a thing she said. I don't know what she taught. <laughs> you know what I knew? She liked me. They all knew. She likes us. Now, you've heard the phrase, kids don't care what you know until they know what? You care. And we knew she cared. I mean, who else would let you come in? And she would always say, you don't have to say Mrs. Words. And then we'd go, okay, Loretta. You know, we used to just play. We'd have that game back and forth. And I looked back, and that was the first thing I got the news. I'm like, and I sure loved Mrs. Words. I love the way Loretta made us feel. Now, you know what? I guarantee you she didn't wake up one morning and go, you know what? I feel really qualified to lead. No. You know what she woke up and said? There's a need Somebody needs to lead. And I hope God does that with your hearts. That's what I'm praying that he'll do for you. But here's the most famous thing Joshua said. You, you see it if you go into Hobby Lobby. I guarantee you're going to find it on a plaque. And it'll say, as far as me and my house, we will. There it is. I mean, everybody knows that. But I want you to listen to that verse, the whole verse. Uh, they're found in Joshua 24:15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods, small g, your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living, but as far as my household, we will serve the Lord. I mean, this is drop the mic, walk away. Here it is. I have led you all these years. Uh, you've experienced amazing military victories. You've seen and experienced the promised land, but yet you're still flirting with these other gods. So just so you know, as I exit this scene, and there'll be another leader that follows me, as far as me and my house, we will serve one God. And then he walks away. Now that's a leader. Because he's saying, there's nothing that matters more to me than serving my God. Now, I want you to know that I believe that there's another God out there that is not a God with a brick or wood. It's the God of busyness. And we live in a busy, busy world. And it doesn't matter where you live. People are so busy. When I was in junior high and high school, I, it's hard for me to say this, but I, I had a drug problem. Maybe some of you know what that's like. Uh, my mom and my sister drug me to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And maybe that's your story, too. Every time the doors were open, you know, we went to church. And I just remember these arguments on the way to church, like, oh, my land, Mom, seriously, there's got to be a law against, you know, I remember all these discussions about going to church. Now, uh, that's the world that I lived in. Matter of fact, the other day at a staff meeting, Tom asked this question, and it cracked me up because I thought, boy, it has changed a lot. He said, back years ago, churches would have pens for perfect attendance and perfect Sunday school attendance, and then you'd string, like, there might be somebody with, like, 20 of these things. And the only ounce of grace was if you were on vacation and you brought a bulletin from the church, they would count that. Now, imagine a world where you have a group of people who have perfect church attendance. Now, is that the world we live in today? No. Here's what else has changed. Uh, when I was playing Little League, uh, we had a, a rain out, and I remember the coach met with all of the parents to get permission to have a Sunday afternoon game. And in Illinois, and I think back early when I was doing youth ministry in Indiana, they wouldn't schedule, the schools wouldn't even schedule anything on Wednesday night because that was church night. Is that the world we live in today? No, that's not the world. And now, uh, this is the question I get from parents all the time. John, I feel so bad because I don't know what to do with all the, the activities my kids are in, and some of those are spilling in the Sundays, and I miss church. I mean, am, am I wrong for missing church? And so I, I just want to share some thoughts with you from a conversation that I had this week. Uh, as a young man I've known for a while now, uh, and he's over a ministry called Distinction, and his name is Luke Zeller. And Luke's 6'11" played for Washington. Some of you that are high school basketball fanatics, you remember he hit the state championship winning half-court shot 2005, went to Notre Dame, uh, played a little bit in the NBA. His brothers Tyler and Cody are currently in the NBA. Um, and I asked him, I said, now, you have a parachurch organization. Um, I know there are Sundays that you're gone, and I'm going to be preaching, and I, this subject's going to come up Sunday, and I just want to know your perspective. And he said, 
I'm so glad you made this phone call. So he said, let me share a few things. Um, and here was the, and some of these, he actually, he really stepped on my toes. And so I didn't say I liked Luke. I just said that anyway. So anyway, here's, here's what he said. Uh, a few Sundays ago, I shared with you that one of the things, my dream for Sherwood Oaks West is that we, we move towards beyond Sunday, that we make an impact outside of Sunday morning, like beyond Sunday. And he used a phrase, he said, well, John, can you live life, can parents live life with their families beyond a building on Sunday? And I'm like, well, keep talking. He said, well, let me ask you another question. Uh, Bible says where two or more are gathered, I'm there, okay? So do you have to have an ordained minister to have church? So I hung up on him. And and so I said, okay, um, what can I share with parents? I mean, just to help them with this tension, because it's, it's a tension. And he said, here's what I share, and I thought this was really good. He said, I always share with parents, the most important thing is to always ask yourself consistently, am I serving the Lord? That's where it starts. Not, am I going to church? Am I serving the Lord? Are we as a family doing all that we can to make God number one? So the second thing is, is to ask yourself, uh, after you've asked yourself, am I serving the Lord, is... Um, when I'm on the road on Sundays, what's my priority? In other words, he said, if, can you get up as a family and go to church? Then go to church. Or, as he said, you know, if two or three are gathered, so your family might get together with another family, and they can actually have church. I said, okay. But this is the one that got me. He said, um, have you ever thought about this? He said, we have eight organized tournaments so I'm not on church at least eight times. But those are not basketball tournaments. Those are mission trips. When I go into that, I pray, God, give me an opportunity to have a conversation. Give me an opportunity that I can share you. Give me an opportunity that I can be the light of Christ wherever I am. Now think of the difference that would make if we approached our schedules that way and the difference that that would make in all of our lives. Is it easy? No. One of our elders, uh, I'm so proud of, his name is Brian Bailey, and he works with this organization. And what Brian does is uh, they always have a chapel service before any service, and he leads out that service. Now, you think about the power of what God has given all of us with Jesus Christ, whatever opportunity you have. So we're praying for spiritual conversations. That's one thing. Always pray for the opportunity. It's, to be honest with you, Marie and I, I blew this. Uh, my two girls played a lot of volleyball, so we went to a lot of volleyball games. I mean, a lot. Okay, so, um, and I think girls are so funny anyway, the way they celebrate it. But anyway, anyway, so um, uh, all these games, I had opportunities to have spiritual conversation, but what I hid behind my excuse was, well, you know, I'm a minister, and I'm going to make people feel weird if I have spiritual conversations. So I I don't want to be that guy. I wish I had been that guy. Because there were opportunities to have spiritual conversations. I just really did not pray enough about the opportunities that I had. Because you know what? As a parent, you know this. You're going to be spending a lot of time with different groups of people when you're into these activities. That's all there is to it. So what can you do to be Christ? So I want you to give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm, I'm working on some conversation starters. <laughs> Some spiritual conversation starts. So if you think that's a good one, thumbs up. 
not so good thumbs down. So here's the first conversation starter. Uh, you're sitting at a ball game. <laughs> you're sitting at a ball game, and uh, it's, a, it's tense, and it's a close game. You lean over to your, your friend, your new friend, you say, you know, this game is nerve-wracking. Can you imagine how nerve-wracking the flames of hell are? Thumbs up. <laughs> thumbs down. <laughs> Farnsley's giving me a thumbs up. Okay, good job. Yeah. Okay, good job, buddy. All right. Now, here's the second one. I don't know if this is going to be well or not. Um, you lean over to your other new friend. You say, you know, speaking of Satan, <laughs> the referee seems to be possessed by the spirit of confusion. I don't know. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. <laughs> I know the visitors today are like, no, I'm not coming back. So I'm going to really simplify what I mean by spiritual conversation. Of all the games I've gone to, all the things I've done with my kids, um, here's the most effective sentence of evangelism I've learned. And it's too simple. I just wish I had shared this a lot more. When you're spending all this time with these folks and you're going to spend a lot of time with them as you travel and do life together, you know what's going to happen with that group? I guarantee it. Eventually, there's going to be a crisis. In the midst of that crisis, not where anybody else sees it, just you and that person, you just say, hey, I want you to know. I know you're going through a lot. I'm praying for you. And then the next game or whatever, a week or so later, you say, Hey, you know, I just want you to know I've been praying for you. How's things going? And you know what will happen? You'll have your spiritual conversation. You know why? They don't sense in any way this is a bait and switch. They know you genuinely care. And that's really how you can be the hands and feet of Christ. It's, it's how you can go from here to there. It's how you can lead, and it's exactly how you can make the most with your family during these difficult times is that you just want to serve. I want to close with this. Um, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I love this verse. It says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. There's the choices. Now, choose life so that your children may live. I love that because he says, listen, not only do your decisions and your choices have consequences, those consequences can actually go on from one generation to the next. They matter. The choices we make in life, they matter. I'm so thankful for God that he gave us the freedom of choice, but choose life. Every Sunday, uh, every Sunday uh, at the end of the service, we have our communion time and we have worship but I just want to emphasize, it's a time for you to be able to pray. And if you need to pray with, uh, we have a whole prayer team. We have elders. We have people who are here. And we have this room to my left. We're just here to help you with whatever choices in life you're struggling with. We're in this thing together. Let me pray for you. And then Tobin's going to come up and share. Lord, Heavenly Father, we praise you for giving us the freedom of choice. So, Lord, I pray that day in and day out, we realize we want to choose life because you are life. Thank you for being there for us every step of the way. And so, Lord, just help us to commit to you that all of our choices matter. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. 
Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.